0: All right. Well, my name is Chris Richard, and I'm a grateful, recovering member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. And thanks to Al-Anon today, I know that I'm not defined by my circumstances, my feelings, or even my behavior. I know today that my higher power has given me both a plan and a purpose. I know today that... It's a time just such as this that he created me to be who I am, doing what I'm now doing. But before Al Anon, I didn't know that. I thought I was bound by my thoughts and my feelings and my behavior. I didn't know who I was or where I began or ended. I found myself in what I call an insanity box. And just imagine my being in an insanity box. Imagine a large crate, as tall as I am, just tall enough for me to fit inside it, a large wooden crate. It's enclosed, I'm enclosed in it with my hands by my side. There's no room for me to move. It's glued, nailed, screwed, and big uh, straps, you know, keeping it closed. And there I am. I felt trapped, hopeless, rejected, abandoned, isolated, angry, resentful, desperate, sad, and depressed. I coped by avoiding responsibility for my thoughts and my feelings. I tended to give myself up and and avoid, uh, avoid being rejected and abandoned. I was emotionally unavailable. I rejected others, called others' names, ridiculed others, and attempted to make them feel guilty. All this led to power struggles in relationships, relationships in disharmony, suffering, loneliness, a life without fun and joy. I found myself doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. My feelings led to distorted uh, thinking. You see, it's all about perceptions. Perceptions. A few years ago, my wife and I were attending an Al-Anon meeting. And after the meeting was over, we were leaving. It was dark. Uh, I do uh, something that may startle some of you, but I open and close the door for my wife when I let her in a car. That <laughs> seems to be out of fashion these days, but I do. Anyway, I was going to the car, and I was I was putting the key, at least I was trying to, put the key in the lock. But it was dark, and I, I couldn't quite get it, you know, and I was fumbling around, and she was standing behind me, and she was going, you know, looking (laughs) at me, like, can't you get your act together, and here I am struggling with this, and, and, you know, I'm beginning to feel less and less like a man, you know, I can't quite get this job done, and finally she says, move over, I can do this, and so I said, here, have have it, you know, and she was struggling, and she didn't do any better than me. Well, about that time, I was looking off into the distance, and one of our Alanon members was driving by, heading out the driveway, and she stopped and looked at us, struggling, and I thought she was gonna, she rolled down her window, and I thought she was gonna yell out, Do you need some help? No. She said, Is that your car? <laughs> well, I knew immediately what was the matter wasn't our car. (laughs) And I looked over across a ways, and there was our car. You know, it was dark. The two cars kind of looked alike. Well, when we got to the right car, of course, the key worked very well, and we went on our way. So you see, sometimes we need to change our thinking to adjust to the reality of the situation. Other times, the truth of the situation isn't quite as clear. Which brings another uh, situation in my life where uh, my wife and I were going to a family gathering and things were getting a little dull. And one of our family members was looking up at the ceiling at one of the ceiling fans and made this uh, quite startling question, provocative question. I wonder if that ceiling fan is turning clockwise or counterclockwise. Which led to another one of my family members whose name will uh I will not say at this point. Well it depends on where the twelve is. <laughs> okay. Which led to a uh quite thorough discussion of the fan is going clockwise, no the fan is going counterclockwise and uh would you believe it that the it, it wound up being a male-female deal. The males were saying the fan is going clockwise. All the females were saying counterclockwise. <laughs> so what the truth of this situation is, uh, we don't know to this day. <laughs> Which leads me to another uh Al-Anon helpful uh, tip that I learned from Al-Anon Forum Magazine. I was reading a magazine article out of the Forum and the title of the article was named The Sky is Always Blue. And if you think about it, the sky is always blue. But when we're down here uh, from our perspective and the clouds come over and it gets dark and lightning and thundering and it's, it doesn't seem blue to us. But if you get an airplane and go above the clouds, the sky is blue. So it's really about our perceptions. Why qualify for Al-Anon? Because I grew up in an alcoholic home. My mother was the alcoholic. My father was a very successful aeronautical manufacturing executive, but he was the enabler. My sister was a hero. <laughs> And I was a scapegoat. I was fear-driven, shame-based. We had material possessions, but we lacked acceptance and love. And the unwritten family rules were, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. The focus was never on the problem drinker. And conflicts and power struggles occurred at night, never to be mentioned again in the morning. I feared bringing friends home. There was one uh time uh when high school I had a friend over. Uh it just so happened that my mother had been gone for literally months. Back then uh they didn't hold people in uh detoxification and, and all that for twenty eight days like they do now. Sometimes it's even less than that now. Uh but it was literally for months and she was out of state. And so I had this friend over uh, thinking that n- nobody was going to be home. My father was at work. My mother was out of state. It was just me um, and my friend. And I heard the doorbell ring. And I went to the door, and my friend was right there with me. And I opened the door, and there's my mother. She had just had gotten out of the uh, cab, and she was drunk as a skunk. Um, Somehow or another, I didn't really know the details until just a a few years ago of what happened, but she had checked herself out of this place uh, against the desires of my father, I found out, and got herself on a plane, got a cab home, and there she was at my door, and I was just mortified with my friend right there seeing this. Back earlier in uh, my grammar school days, I remember uh, one incident. I was downstairs. My parents were upstairs. And one night I heard this big thud. And I knew somebody was seriously hurt. And I ran upstairs into the bathroom. And there was my father picking my mother out of the tub. And by then, they were just kind of... uh, Laughing about it, making a big joke out of it, but again, she was drunk as a skunk and she had uh, fallen in the tub. I remember another incident uh, when I was in grammar school, high school uh, age, trying to, you know, thinking and believing I could do something about stopping the drinking. And I was angry, and I had some golf balls. so I went through the kitchen, opened all the cabinet doors where all the liquor bottles were and I just threw the golf balls at the bottles and broke them all, <laughs> thinking that was going to solve the problem it didn't they just got mad at me, and they went out and bought some more <laughs> but it wasn't just the drinking uh that created a problem. there were other things that went on in our relationships uh. One situation I remember at Christmas, my uh, mother had the dining room tables all decorated nice for Christmas, and uh, one day she noticed that the Christmas decorations were all torn up, and she blamed me for it. Well, I hadn't done that. It turned out that there were some rats in our home, and it wasn't until the exterminator came along and vindicated me of this crime I have been, had been accused of. Uh, then there was another situation. Uh, I took a nap one day, and then I had a, sh- uh, not a shirt like this, but it was more of a casual shirt, but it did have a collar. And somehow another in my nap, I had turned a collar inside of my shirt where it looked like it wasn't there anymore, and my mother saw this. I wasn't even aware it had been. Turned inside out like that. And she said I had ripped off my collar just to be mean and tear up and destroy something. And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it turned out that uh, it had just been turned inside out. Well, my mother died when I was a freshman in college. I never really grieved the death. I was, in a sense, kind of was glad all that was over with. And I just moved on to the next thing. The real problem with the family disease of alcoholism, uh, I've discovered, is not really the consumption of alcohol. It's really a disease of relationships. And our book, Alan on book, Paths to Recovery, does, uh, in fact, say it is a disease of relationships. I've uh, I learned to live a lie. I may have looked good on the outside, but I was devastated on the inside. I learned unhealthy beliefs Uh, to be loved. I I believed I had to be accepted, and to be accepted, I, I believed I had to perform. And I learned unhealthy relationship patterns. I was constantly seeking approval and affirmation. I did not recognize my accomplishments. I feared criticism. I had tendencies to overextend myself. I had compulsive behaviors. I felt as though I needed to be perfect. I felt alive in the midst of crisis, and when I wasn't in a crisis, I would create one. I felt responsible for other people's behavior. I confused pity with love. I clinged to relationships, even when those relationships were really unhealthy relationships. I, would, uh, I did not trust my own feelings. I had trouble expressing my feelings, and later I learned all this was common to adult children of alcoholics. I graduated from college, I served some time in the Air Force, I began a career, and then I married. By the way, it wasn't uh, a marriage to this uh, wonderful lady that I'm married to now. I just want to make that clear right now. (laughs) I unwittingly had managed to marry a partner which had also a family history of alcoholism in her life, but she wasn't really aware of that. She was what we call a granddaughter of an alcoholic. Her father was an adult child of an alcoholic. All his brothers and uh, his parents were alcoholics. But he, uh, some for some reason, w- wasn't an alcoholic. He was just an adult child of an alcoholic. Anyway, uh, this person I was married to believed she came from a normal family. Uh, And so when we married, I unwittingly found someone I could really continue that pattern that I had in my childhood. I had no idea I was uh, carrying the garbage of my past. I did not know it was impairing my judgment. I did not know it was adversely affecting my marriage relationship. I thought all my problems were behind me. But then 11 years into this marriage, things started to go wrong. And I somehow knew it link back to my growing up in an alcoholic home, and I didn't really know what to do about it. We had power struggles over the thermostat. I see that rings a familiar note with some of you. We had uh, family income uh, concerns uh, It's a nice way of putting it. We struggled over how the money was to be spent. I experienced fear and worry, excessive thinking. Uh, I regretted the past and fear of the future. One day I was uh, driving home from work, and I was so concerned about the feelings of, uh, and the re- regrets of the past and concerns and fears of the future that I drove into this filling station. And at the time, I was driving a car that took diesel fuel and my mind wasn't where it needed to be. Instead of putting diesel fuel in the car, I put the regular gasoline. Well, you know the rest of the story. After a while, the car didn't work so well. Uh, but it took about a, a day uh, for me to get to the point where I was noticing something was wrong with the car. And it was en- enough time to go by where I hadn't quite... Uh, put two and two together, why I was having a problem with my car, and I literally had to stop and retrace my uh, pattern of what I had done, and I finally realized I had gone in that gas station. By the way, the gas station didn't even, not even sell diesel fuel. Uh, so that's how I managed to put it together. Oh, yeah, I drove in that station. They don't even sell diesel fuel, and I'm expecting my car to work. Uh, So anyway, I had a little bill to pay and clean up the car over that. There was another time I was driving home from work, and uh, I was just so concerned about all these things going on in my mind that uh, I wasn't really there in the present. And I pulled in the gas station, and I filled up my car, and I drove off. I didn't bother to pay them, though. (laughs) But I didn't know that I hadn't bothered to pay them because my mind just wasn't there. And I got about halfway home and it started to come out of my fog. And I'm questioning myself. Did I pay them? Didn't I pay them? Did I pay them? Didn't I pay them? And I came to the conclusion I hadn't, but I wasn't really sure. So anyway, I turned around and went back to the gas station. By the way, this only took a period of three or four minutes. By the time I got to the gas station, the police were already there, taking a report, and I had to uh, go through my little spill, oh, really, I intended to pay, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, the police told me to sign their little form, go in there and pay them, and everything was fine. But I could have seen myself getting home, not realizing what I had done, and later the police coming on my, knocking on my door. and. Uh, it wouldn't have come out quite as well, I don't think, you know, (laughs) trying to explain my way out of that. Well, I learned to set boundaries in Al-Anon. Setting boundaries is not about controlling the other person, I learned. It's about controlling what I'm going to do about a particular situation. And I had a, a, a kind of a crazy story that helps us remember this. Uh, It's really kind of to the extreme in terms of setting boundaries, but it it helps everybody that hears the story remembers how important boundaries are, and it's really about what I do, not about trying to get the other person to do something. Uh, My wife, uh, again, not this wife here, but my first wife, um, she had this habit of – when the, our children were not doing what she wanted them to do and she wanted to discipline them, sometimes she would resort to the belt. And there's nothing really uh, wrong with spanking uh, if you don't carry it to the extreme, to the point where there are wounds. But anyway, she would uh, find one of my belts, and that in and of itself was okay, but what what really ground away at me was she wouldn't ask me about getting something of mine and then worse she wouldn't put it back you know so then when i'm looking for it i can't find it so anyway uh i had about 10 belts and every time she would do this and i'd go looking for the belt i'd have to go search it up and i say here when you want to do this Use this belt over here. There's some belts I didn't really care about. Don't use this one that's here. And she just would ignore that and get the belts that I didn't want her to get, and then I'd look for them again. I went through this for about a year or two uh, trying to get her to do what I wanted her to do, and it just didn't work. So one day I was getting up to go to work, and I couldn't find my belt. She was then taking a, a bath. I'm saying, where is my belt? I'm late for work. Uh, She didn't care. So on the way to work, I'm saying, what can I do about this? What can I do about this? So finally I got this great idea. I went and bought me a chain bicycle lock, and I locked them up. (laughs) Setting boundaries is about what I can do, not controlling the other person. So you're going to remember that now because it's so crazy. (laughs) Uh, I also learned uh, in our marriage that we were having problems with the the checking account, and I finally ended up having to do something about our checking accounts. Uh, We had a, a joint account where we both used it, and for whatever reasons the communication wasn't there about what was going on with the checking account. So finally, I just got to the point. We're going to have two separate accounts, and I had my pay electronically deposited into mine. And then we tried to work out what I would give her each month for the expenses, and that didn't exactly work exactly the way I wanted either. But uh. so anyway, there were communication problems. Crucial information was withheld. One-sided decisions were made. My wife would make decisions. And then she would say, the family decided to cloak her decision, the family against me. Um, at the time she did this, the children really weren't old enough to make decisions and really speak. But, you know, she would say the family decided. And. Wants and needs were ignored, questions were ignored, never answered. There was passive-aggressive behavior, there was manipulation, hidden agendas, overspending occurred and was denied. Bills were not paid and denied. We were doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. Remember that neither she or I were doing drugs or alcohol. (laughs) And all this was going on. We had the ics and the isms of the disease, the family disease of alcoholism. Well, before Al-Anon, I tried everything: psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists at psychiatric hospitals. And by the way, Tony, my uh, liaison here at AA, she is one of the people I called in her professional capacity years ago. She doesn't even remember, it, I'm sure. And I said, I literally scheduled a time to start seeing her. But my situation was so crazy, before the time came, I called up and counseled that uh, That visit. And those sessions never did happen. But at Alanite, I learned acceptance, accepting life on life's terms. I learned that life is like playing a card game, we must play the hand that we're dealt. I also learned about the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. I can't control it. But there's a fourth C. I can contribute to the problem, and Al-Anon has helped me to learn not to contribute to the problem. Well, now I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I came to Al-Anon. I was active in my church. Uh, I was taking a 10-week course, Healing for Damaged Emotions, There was two people uh, that were going to this that just happened to be going to Al-Anon meetings and they tapped my shoulder one day and they said that they were going to Al-Anon meetings and would I like to go, and I did. A few weeks down the uh, line, one of them came to me and said they were moving, and I kept going to the Al-Anon meetings. A few weeks later, the other one came to me, pronounced themselves cured and never went again, and And I'm still going. Twenty-one years later, I'm still going. Uh, I haven't seen those two people since. Well, remember the insanity box I was talking about a little earlier? I found my way out of the insanity box by using the Al-Anon tools of the program. The 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the 12 concepts, the slogans. I learned to give up control and surrender power to a greater uh, power greater than myself. I learned things like let go and let God. I learned to simplify the first three steps as I can't, He can, I'll let Him. Eleanor taught me to change my thoughts uh, and and my actions. Face it, trace it, erase it. I learned the three A's: awareness, acceptance, action. I learned to set boundaries. I did not have to accept the unacceptable. I learned to forgive, not to let others off the hook, but to help myself move on. I learned that my higher power had a plan and a purpose for me. It was for my good, not to harm me. I learned that I no longer had to control my circumstances or people. Instead, I could put the focus on myself, take responsibility for my feelings and actions. I, know, I learned that I no longer had the four solutions. God was in control. Things would work out as he had planned. All this resulted in my seeing myself as God saw me, reconnecting with myself, God, and others. I learned about intimacy. And one of the things I learned about intimacy was three little sentences, and they all had to be true. I learned I can be me, you can be you, we can be us. When all three of those things are true, I have intimacy, I have a healthy relationship, and so does the other person. Uh, But I've had so many relationships where one of those three, or maybe more than those, uh, you know, they all have to work together for it to be true. As the insanity box transformed, I found hope, I experienced peace and serenity, I experienced sanity. I saw God doing for me what I could not do for myself. But one of the most important things I learned is that it's not so much what happened to me, it's what I think about what happened to me that makes the difference. We have a saying in uh, our preamble readings at Al-Anon, Changed Attitudes, Aid, Recovery. And though my emotional and spiritual health was improving, going back to my first marriage now, my circumstances, my marital relationship got worse. My marital relationship was becoming more of a struggle. Obstacles kept coming up to prevent me from going to Al-Anon meetings. So I would just go on another day. There was an Al-Anon meeting just about every day, night of the week. Uh, So I would just go to one the next day. Uh, marital conflicts moved from subtle conflicts to brazen conflicts eventually things got so bad the legal system got involved and one night I was thrown out of my own home in the middle of the night by the sheriff's department I had to find a place to live in the middle of the night my money was tied up by the court my typical day was to go to work get off work go to the mall because I didn't have a place to call home anymore wait for a meeting uh and And remember I was living in South Georgia. My father at the time was living in north i mean uh, South Atlanta area. My father was living in the North Atlanta area, so I would move up uh, drive up to the North Atlanta area after the meeting and stay with him. Well, that lasted for about a week and then my father said, "Well, and this was before the takeover that 's going on in Iran. my father said uh, i 'm moving to Iran." <laughs> He was in one of the three airplanes out before Khomeini took uh, his first step on the ground of Iran. By the way, um, so anyway, I had to find another place to live. So what I did was I, uh, I all my money was tied up, but I still had credit cards. Uh, so I got a credit card of mine and I went to one of these motels where you can stay for a month, whatever. I didn't know how the credit card was going to get paid at the time, but, you know, one day at a time, do what you have to do, and that's what I did. So anyway, it was a roller coaster. The relationship was reconciled only to suffer more conflict and eventually divorce. My wife filed for divorce in 1991, and for two years, I went back and forth to courts. For two years, I was unable to see my children. I lost everything I owned except two end tables. (laughs) And uh, one of the last things that happened in the court, uh, she complained about that because they were not matching. (laughs) I literally had to start a new life, and despite the adverse circumstances, I really did see God working in my life. He was restoring me and healing me he was doing for me what i could not do for myself and it's really thanks to Anon that i had any sense of sanity and serenity uh, because my life was really chaotic during this time Anon taught me that i needed to change both my attitude and my actions And some of the new actions that I was doing was I continued to go to Al-Anon meetings. I continued my Al-Anon service work. I was elected to serve as a district representative for District 16. Let me tell you my uh, first experience as a first official act as a district representative. The first official act was going to an area assembly, and it was an and an area election and <clears throat> that's really one of the most chaotic times of al-anon service because it's such a flux at the area assembly electing area officers so anyway um, i took my official job that day and the procedure that they went through that day i never saw before or since at working this way, but they called a bunch of people up to volunteer to be uh, count verifiers, and each one of those count verifiers would sit next to the district representative. On the the district uh, group uh, representatives would be sitting on a row, and the district representative would be on the end of that row, and then the counter, the verifier. Which signets to the district representative? Well, as they were signing all these people, uh, the very person that was account verifier that sat for the district that was directly behind me walked behind me and tapped me on the shoulder. You know, they had. Well, they also announced my name, my la- my first name and my last name. That person tapped me on the shoulder and said do you know and she said my mother's name and here it was I'm trying to remember the date but it was like the late late 1980s anyway she she tapped me on the shoulder she said my mother's name and my mother had been dead uh, since 1966 and she and I said, yes, that that's my mother. She is the reason I'm here. And we started sharing stories, and she started telling me what she knew about my mother, what she knew about my sister. And it was just, to me, it was God working in my life and saying, you're right where you need to be. It was just a confirmation for me. Other changes in my life. Uh, One of the things that went on about this time when I was going through this divorce and it was finalized, I had another Al-Anon friend saying, you need to buy a house. And I say, there's no way I can buy a house. I can't financially afford it. And she said, well, we didn't go buy a car. (laughs) But she said, go look into it. Go pursue the idea of, looking into buying a house. And I said, okay. And I called a real estate agent, and I went through the process of looking for a home. And that Saturday, I found the, the very first home I looked at was the one that caught my eye. And I signed a contract to purchase it. And the way that worked out was just miraculous to the point where I didn't have any furnishings in the house, and the people selling the house were wanting to sell their furnishings in the house for a dime on the dollar kind of arrangement. So I ended up being able to purchase the house and furnish the house. Uh, It was just a miracle how all that happened. Some other things that happened to me during my life uh, as I was moving along in my recovery, um, I was working at the time for a a place where I was involved programming computers and I needed some more training, Um, and my supervisor asked me to contact the training provider And they were going to provide us with the training, and they said their place where they were going to have the training was being renovated, but they believed it's going to be ready uh, for the training. And so they scheduled us to go to this training at the Piedmont Center. There was a person that was working with me that was scheduled to do two days of training before I was to go for my training the rest of the week. So he went on Monday, and it turned out that when he got there, the place wasn't ready, and he was scrambling around, where is the training? Uh, And we were trying to scramble around, trying to figure out what was going on, and we found out that the training had been relocated to another place because the place just wasn't ready yet. So anyway, I went to my training on Wednesday to this new location, and then I went to my training Thursday, and my drive home on Thursday, I was listening to the news on the radio, and they said there is a mass shooting incident at the Piedmont Center. And i'm saying to myself god doing for me what i couldn't do for myself because i could have been in the middle of that by the way the uh, person that was involved with that was mark barton if you remember that incident another uh, situation that came up just prior to my marrying roxanne we were engaged at the time i was having severe chronic pain which was resulting in uh, sharp streaks of feelings going through my arm all the way to my fingertips. It was kind of a numbness, and so anyway, I went to my doctor. They took X-rays, and then he referred me to a neurologist at Piedmont uh, Hospital or the doctor's offices near there. And he looked at the X-rays and. He had this sound of urgency. uh, And he he narrowed it down to four areas in my neck. And he wanted to do an MRI the next day. He scheduled that. And it sounded like I was heading for surgery very quickly. Anyway, several weeks went by and I didn't hear anything. And finally, I heard back. I was scheduled to go see him, expecting that I was going to have surgery. I went into his office, and he said he seemed rather um, buffaloed to put a non-medical term to it. But he said he, the the surgery was to fuse some of these areas. He said those areas had fused on their own, and there was no longer concern or need for surgery. So there was another example of, of just God working in my life. And the next thing I've got down here is a new life with a new wife in 2001. <laughs> I was uh, getting a little concerned about My life, uh, just lacking a a lifelong partner with me. And so I was thinking to myself, I can't marry another earth person, like some of us call them. And I'm saying I need to marry someone in the program. And I was thinking an Al-Anon person. So be careful what you pray for, because I prayed for that, and uh, we had a new member come into our meetings. But there was a problem: this person was married,
1: <laughs>
0: and both of us were very ethical. We don't uh, we we do the right thing, and I never really considered marriage her, And I don't think she considered anything other than being married to the person she was married to. But uh, she had a a tragedy in her life. Her husband was killed in an automobile accident. And the Al-Anon members in that meeting do what I expect most members do. They rallied around the person that had a, a tragedy and I was one of the ones that went to the funeral and never really gave it a second thought. You know, just another Al-Anon meeting. I never had any idea that we would end up married. Well, we had a need for a GR in that meeting. Uh, And there were some of them that were wanting to recruit Roxanne as the next GR, and she said, no, no, not going to do it. Well, at the time, I was, I was the district representative, and so here I am trying to encourage the group to, to get a GR. But she said no. Well, then later she said, okay, I will. And then later I get this phone call, and she's calling me up. It's about 9, 9.30 at night, and she says, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to be the GR. And I said, okay. And I was about to hang up. And she says, no, wait a minute. And she talked to me for an hour. And she even invited me to go over for a swim. Well, I didn't go for a swim that night. But I did marry her.
1: (laughs) It wasn't that day, but I did marry her.
0: Well, I wanted my new marriage to be different than the first one. And so... uh, I was concerned about boundaries. One night uh, after our marriage, we were walking downstairs. It was a two-story house. and We were walking by the stairs and she was kind of looking upstairs a little bit. And she made this provocative question, I wonder if the light is on upstairs. And I, I'm, I'm, my mind is clicking. I'm saying... If you want me to go turn the line on or off upstairs, just ask me to go turn it off. Don't, you know, be it. To, I can't say the word about it. You know, just come out and ask me to do it. I, I got to the point where I would make a joke out of it. And I, whenever I felt like my boundary was being violated, I would say, Boundary alert, boundary alert.
1: Boundary <laughs> alert.
0: Um, one one time, she was. Uh, I had a day off scheduled for work, and she said to herself, "What an opportunity!" And called up one of her friends, or one of her friends called her. They were moving, and volunteered my services to help this person move. I said, "You call those people back and telling them I'm not doing it." Another time, uh, she wore one of my sweatshirts. Without asking, I said boundary alert again. Uh, So every time we have something like that come up, you know, I'm saying boundary alert, boundary alert. Working the Al-Anon program does not mean our lives are going to be problem-free. It means we have tools to help us deal with those problems. I've experienced a death of my alcoholic mother, a failed marriage and divorce. I've had experience not only in losing a job but a career. But I found out that these circumstances, um, you know, God has something better for me. I've discovered that I could experience peace and serenity whether the alcoholic continues to drink or not. I discovered that I'm not defined by my circumstances, feelings, or behavior. I've discovered God doing for me what I could not do for myself. And I believe anyone practicing the 12 steps of Al-Anon can do the same thing, have the same experiences. I no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but each day I find myself being transformed by the renewing of my mind. You too can discover this for yourselves. You can be transformed by renewing your mind. That is your way out of the insanity box. It will be transforming in your life, and you'll find peace and serenity. And I thank you for inviting me here today.
1: Okay, let's close the meeting with a serenity prayer. That was a great job, Chris. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you all for coming.